Hi, this is Amplify Women on X-Ray FM. I'm your host, Jillian Shoney, the Executive Director of Emerge Oregon. And in celebration of International Women's Day, we are amplifying women's voices. And for the next hour, I'll be talking with two Emerge Oregon women who have taken that leap and are looking to advocate for their communities by serving in elected office. Uh, They are two candidates of over 50 women we have running this year. So we'll hear from Winsvay Campos, candidate for the Oregon Legislature in Salem, representing House District 28, which, if you don't know, includes portions of Beaverton and Aloha in Washington County. And then after her, we'll speak with Lacey Beatty. She is running to be Beaverton's first woman to serve as mayor. Both of these women are on your ballot for our May primary election, so please, please make sure your voter registration is up to date. Uh, by April 28th, if you want to vote, and you can do so online at www.organvotes.gov. And if you would like to join in on this conversation with Wednesday, please text any questions or comments uh, to uh, to 971-220-5979 or sending an email to dj at xray.fm. So welcome, Wednesday. Thank you for joining me this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. So um, some context for the listeners. Uh, Wednesday is running right now in a May primary election. And because it's no secret that the voters of this particular district are largely aligned with the values of the Democratic Party, party this race is going to be decided in the primary in 71 days <laughs> from now. So Wednesday is very, 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 very busy. Um, tell us why you're running. Yeah, um, so I had a number of people in the community about approach me about running for the seat for a while, but I didn't think I was actually going to until I had a day at work. Um, I work as a case manager for a transitional housing program out in Beaverton, um, and I had a day at work where I had one too many conversations with families about the lack of resources and solutions in the area. Um, I started one particular day out on the phone with somebody where by the end of the phone call, they knew that they were going to be sleeping outside because all of the organizations that they had reached out to, including ours, were at capacity. Um, I ended the day with uh, mom breaking down in tears in front of me, asking me how she was supposed to put a roof over her children's head when she works 40 hours a week but only makes minimum wage. Um, so she laid out the numbers for me that that meant a little over $1,700 after taxes was her income, and the average for a two-bedroom, which is what she was looking for, um, last year was a little over $1,300. So after she left, I sat at my desk feeling pretty frustrated, and I thought to myself, you know, what we need is change at a policy level. We need people that are on the front lines of these issues, but we also need people who have lived experiences. I myself grew up in a low-income household from the age of eight until I left for college. We lived in a motel room. Um, There were times in my life we had to go to the public library restroom to literally roll sheets of toilet paper to take home so that we could save $8 to put towards bills that week. Um, And it wasn't because my dad didn't work hard, but rather because he was often paid less than he deserved. Um, I think, you know, when we talk about these issues, a lot of folks uh, that are in the legislature um, don't have these lived experiences. So when I talk about them, they're not abstract problems to me. They're things that I've lived, and they're things that I'm helping families navigate now. And so that is how I am here. <laughs> and we are very happy about that. I want to just thank you for your work in the community because 
um, as somebody who does work with uh, women candidates across the state, it, and it won't surprise any of the, the listeners that housing affordability and houselessness for many of our community members is the number one issue facing every community in this state. And we're all trying to figure out um, the best way to invest precious uh, taxpayer dollars uh, to help these families. But um, uh, could you just sort of talk more about what you're doing day to day to help families and uh, the things you'll fight for in yeah. Salem? So uh, Family Promise of Beaverton um, works specifically in the Beaverton Aloha area. Um, and that's because the Beaverton School District actually has the highest number of students experiencing houselessness in the whole state of Oregon. Um, so before Family Promise of Beaverton was there, there, weren't, there wasn't really an organization serving that specific population. Um, and so on my day-to-day, uh, we say at work, things are never boring. Um, so days can look very different, um, but I work, I have a caseload, so the families that are in the program, um, I work to help them address any barriers they have to getting into housing, uh, whether that is um, finding work or finding a better paying job or addressing uh, landlord debt or, or evictions that might exist on, on their, in their previous rental history. Um, it's really, it's a broad range of issues. Um, one of the things that people ask me a lot is, is why, is if there are particular reasons that we see um, that people are losing their housing. Um, and I think one of the things that I see is that more often than not, people are paycheck to paycheck. And so a um, $100 increase in rent can be that difference in somebody maintaining their housing or not. Um, so we have some funding uh, to help folks stay in their housing, but we don't have a lot. And I think that's one of those things in, in the area that we lack. Um, we lack prevention services and assistance. Um, so we're trying to deal with the problem on the other end when people are already houseless. And that just, it costs so much more. It's traumatizing to a family um, and the children. Um, and I mean, you mentioned taxpayer dollars. Uh, right now, we're not using those effectively because we're not dealing. We're dealing with the issue um, at the at the tail end instead of before people are houseless. Um, so there's a lot that I do. I have that specific caseload, but I also work a little bit with families that are on our wait list um, who maybe are a little bit more low barrier. At, if if they are, um, I can try and get them connected to resources before they ever have to enter into our program. Um, and then I've got a third set of, of cases, uh, and those are the families that we've already gotten into housing. Um, we say we give we provide case management to them for a year after they're housed, and the intention of that is to try and keep them uh, stable and housed because once you're in housing, it doesn't mean that everything is automatically fixed um life happens and so so i work with those families as well and while there are similarities i think no one family or no one individual story is the same so i can imagine the day-to-day -day, um, meeting people where they're at yes yeah um, um and i think you know that's one of those one of those things that would translate over well um to to being a state representative is that you know our legislators um, have to work with a variety of people who come from different backgrounds um, and you know to to work well with folks you you have to be able to meet them where they're at 
Um, and you asked about, you know, the things that I will fight for, the things that I'll prioritize. I mean, housing uh, is generally the first thing that comes out of my mouth when I talk about policy. Um, and there's a number of different ways we address that. Um, one of those pieces is the minimum wage. Um, the minimum wage as it exists right now is not a living wage. Uh, and so I think we need to go back and look at that legislation and, and raise the minimum wage. Um, but we also need to um, completely get rid of no-cause evictions. Uh, those no-cause evictions make it that much more difficult for someone to find housing um, afterwards, and it, it perpetuates the problem. Um, there's so much there, but at, um, some of the other issues um, th that actually intersect really well are transportation. Um, so access... Uh, to public transportation, access to safe roads. Um, House District 28 actually has some of unincorporated Washington County where we lack sidewalks and uh, bike lanes. Um, but one of the things that's really important to me is is investment in public transportation. Uh, right now at work, actually, we have the bus comes once an hour. Um, so if maybe your child doesn't is running around and doesn't want to put pants on in the morning and you're late okay. to the bus, mm -hmm. um, you're late to work, you're late mm -hmm. to dropping your child off, you're late to school, a job interview, you know, what have you. Um, and we have a lot of those locations in the area where it's, it's sort of a, a transportation like desert, um, one could say. Um, so that's another issue that's important to me. And then, um, healthcare, uh, I work with families who are who are literally houseless, uh, who don't qualify for the Oregon Health Plan, um, and that that just doesn't make sense. Um, and so I think we need to expand the Oregon Health Plan and make sure that healthcare is accessible to everybody. Um, and then, of course, climate change. I think. Uh, you know, when I talk about it, I'm not talking about my children or my grandchildren. I'm talking about my lifetime. The crisis is now, uh, and we need to make sure that legislators have it, um, have that at the forefront of their minds. Um, and then finally, of course, education. Um, it's it's the foundation uh, for, you know, for folks, um, and I see it at work, the way in which some families struggle because something something happened in their lives and maybe they didn't finish high school or maybe they weren't able to access higher education beyond. Um, and, it, and it makes the, the higher paying jobs more difficult to access. Um, thankfully, there are, you know, trades, the trades and apprenticeship um, apprenticeships out there um, that that are good options. Um, but I think we need to be making sure that we're focused on higher education and the accessibility as well. Thank you. Um, so I assume that all of those issues that you just touched on are exactly what you're hearing on the doorsteps. So tell us about your work to um, go out there and all that time and energy, and it's very fulfilling. I do it a lot of time. I've, uh, I've knocked on a ton of doors for a ton of candidates, but talk about um, your time on the doors with voters. Is that what you're hearing, those issues that you just talked about? Yeah, yeah. So when I'm on the doors, you know, I, I introduce myself, talk a little bit, you know, ask them if they have, uh, if they can talk for a moment. Um, 
and I I talk a little bit about the perspective that I'm coming from as a case manager, and I ask them what issues are at the top of their minds, um, because it's important. I want to know, you know, I'm supposed to represent this district if uh, when elected, and uh, I, I would like to be able to do that uh, well. And so I hear a lot of people echo that, um, housing, how important it is, and I think um, a lot of the people that I talk to mention that as their top issue, if not one of their top issues. Um, I was out on the doors yesterday, um, and I think that was the that was the consistent thing. And then a few others would talk about climate change and transportation. Um, and so it's definitely very much an echo. And I really enjoy these conversations um, and getting to hear people's perspectives and why these issues are important to them. Um, I will tell you, I had a really uh, cool moment on the door a couple of weeks ago where um, I knocked on somebody's door and I was talking to them and, and they they uh, told me that that was the first time that they've ever had somebody uh, running for office knock on their door uh, and then they proceeded to call their children uh, to come over and listen in uh, and to ask oh, questions. That's great. Um, so really, really great experience um, and I think you know, having those conversations is is critical, and being access uh, being accessible um, and willing to listen to others um, is really important uh, from our electeds um, and those people who are looking at being one. <laughs> exactly. So, just a quick reminder that if you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so by texting nine seven one two two zero five nine seven nine. So. At Emerge, one of the things that we um, try to do is, you know, shift the culture in politics and, mm-hmm. um, and yes, admittedly among women. And so um, <laughs> we certainly really encourage women to help each other um, as they run for office. And so just tell us about the past work, because this is not new to you. You have helped other women um, be successful in their own campaigns. So tell us about that work. Yeah, um, I have had the wonderful opportunity to work for a few candidates um, in the past. Um, I've been, um, I've volunteered in the political world for a while, but also was able to work for the Oregon Nurses Association. Um, That was my previous employment, actually. Um, And during that time was uh, Rachel, Representative Rachel Prusak's campaign manager, um, she is amazing. Uh, she unseated uh, a Republican who, who had held the seat for a long time. Um, she's a nurse practitioner, um, really somebody who cares for her community, um, but also looks to elevate others. Um, and I think having her support behind um she's been really supportive of my campaign i think was one of the first people that i talked to about running um and just her excitement and enthusiasm and you know looking for ways in which she can help um have been really um amazing um working for her i think was has been one of my favorite things to do um and it's just one of those like opportunities to have have worked with someone who um, really, really, truly cares about others. Mm-hmm. And I think you're part of a cohort of women out in Washington County, in particular. For years, we've been sort of building. For the last ten years, in fact, we've been building toward this moment where 
um, you're not out there alone. There are other women yeah. out in Washington County, and the work that y'all are doing together is just, it's a, amazing and it's beautiful to watch. Um, so I don't know if you want to speak to that. Um, just having yeah. other women out there on the ballot with you is important. So, so I will tell you, um, and uh, I'm sure you hear this a lot, um, running for office is not easy. Um, <laughs> no. it, is, it is very challenging. It can be exhausting. Um, some days I go home and I, I'm just, I'm done. I can't, I can't respond to a, one more text. Um, I, um, and, and some days, some days just don't go well. Um, maybe that's, you know, you had a bad day on the doors or, you know, something went wrong. You had a conversation with someone that didn't go the way in which you'd planned or hoped. Um, and there's, it's been just fantastic to to have those women around um, who who I can text or call and and say hey do you have a moment would you like to uh, commiserate um, and I think that I, and I've been talking about it a lot recently it was it was quite um, timely that International Women's Day was yesterday um, because I've been I've been talking to people a lot lately about about how how important that support has been, um, because these <clears throat> these fellow women candidates know what's going on. They they can relate, you know, better than anybody else can. Um, and I just some days I you know I don't know how how I would be able to continue moving forward without the support of these women, um, whether the they're actually the ones on the trail um, or those especially in Washington County um, that have recently been elected um, that send a text over and say hey are you sleeping well um, do you need anything from me um, or you know somebody else saying you've got this many days to go we're in March um, you've got this keep going keep knocking on those doors um, I'm here for you um, and these aren't, you know, things that I'm making up, but, you know, texts um, or messages that, I re that I've received in, in just what is, what is today? I don't know, the 10th, 9th? In just these Monday, first March nine 9th, days yeah. of March. It is Monday morning after daylight savings time change. Yeah. So I think that's something that very just few people are aware of because, um, you know, there's only a handful of spots to run for, and therefore there's not a ton of people who have run for office, but... Um, it only gets, uh, I think, more busy because it, it, you know, social media used to not be a thing. Text banking used to not be a thing. But now when people go on to run for office and I am asking people, you know, the I think almost all of our candidates, right, they have full time jobs. So I am asking women like you to say, hey, take on this second full-time job to run for office but the the communication pieces for candidates these days yes you still need to communicate via mail and email but you've got messages coming via text facebook messenger mm -hmm. if you're on some of the other social media channels so it's a lot um i just want to thank you for taking this on we need your leadership uh, both as a woman as a woman of color because of your lived experiences because of your expertise in housing the number one issue facing in the state so um thank you for running so how can people help you make sure that you win on election day may 19th um so making sure you register to vote i'm gonna yes. echo what you mentioned earlier 
Um, that's important um, so that you can vote. Um, but also, um, so I've got a website, camposfororegon.com, uh, C-A-M-P-O-S for Oregon.com. Um, you can sign up there uh, to volunteer, um, and volunteers can do a number of different things, whether that is going out on the doors. Um, we've actually got a canvas this, sun- this Saturday, the March 14th. Um, and there will be details on my Facebook. Um, so I am uh, my website links to my Facebook and my Instagram t- or Twitter. I don't know social media, <laughs> all, of the, all of the social medias. <laughs> um, but volunteers, you know, maybe maybe knocking on doors isn't your thing. Maybe you're more of an introvert. Um, there, that's that's perfectly fine. There, are, there are so many other ways to plug into a campaign. Um, whether that is um, helping. Uh, get uh, things mailed out um, or donating. Um, That is also another important one. Um, In Oregon, campaigns can get pretty expensive, um, but all donations are helpful. um, And there is a link on the website to do that as well. I'm sure the donate button is the biggest button on the website (laughs) because it's humanly impossible for you to talk to, what, you've got 60,000 residents, I believe, in just your house district. Mm -hmm. So, yes, uh, campaigns Mm -hmm. need cash to communicate online and in the mail with voters. That's just a fact. That's okay. We're good with that. (laughs) And we want you to win. So, well, thank you for your time. Um, Good luck. I will be out there on Saturday, March 14th with you knocking on the doors this weekend in Washington County, and it will be a privilege to do so. Um, So thank you. And at this point, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with Lacey Beatty. She is running to be Oregon's first woman mayor. Hi, welcome back. Again, this is Amplify Women on X-Ray FM. I am your host, Jillian Shoney, Executive Director of Emerge Oregon. And in celebration of International Women's Day, we are amplifying women's voices. Uh, This hour, we are focused on women running for office, um, emerge women running for office. Um, Two candidates, we just spoke with Winsway Campos, who's running for Oregon's House District 8 out in Washington County. Um, And now we have uh, with us Lacey Beatty, who is running to be the first uh, mayor to serve uh, the city of Beaverton. And if you want to plug into this conversation, we encourage you to do so by texting 971-220-5979 or sending an email to dj at xray.fm. So welcome, Lacey. Thanks Good for morning. having me. Yes. So um, you, a little bit on your background, you have served both your country and your community. So why don't you tell the listeners um, a little bit about your service journey um, that brought you to now running for mayor? I think when people ask, why are you running for mayor? They're always looking for this moment when the clouds part and someone spoke directly to (laughs) me and said, this is the reason you should run. But for me, it started when I was a young kid in the early days of the Iraq war. Um, I sat in Kuwait and I heard Donald Rumsfeld on TV say, we go to war with the army we have, not the army we want. And I deployed with my friends uh, in 2003-04 and we were not prepared at all. We had unarmored vehicles. Um, it felt like the country we were protecting wasn't protecting us. And I was there during the Bush carry election, and I watched as people voted in that election and thought to myself, people have no idea what's going on here. 
And it was kind of in that moment that I knew I'd want to serve as an elected official. I just wouldn't know when and where. And so fast forward to moving to Beaverton. What people don't tell you about leaving the Army is how lonely it is. And so I started uh, serving on the Beaverton Vision Advisory Committee, talking to people about what Beaverton's future should look like. Through that process, I recognized that there was a very important voice missing on our city council, a very young, a very diverse, a very vibrant community, had a city council that kind of looked like everyone else. So I've been serving. I entered that race one um, and been serving for six years. And what I know now is that Beaverton needs a dynamic leader to lead us forward in the future. So I threw my name in the ring and I've been working hard ever since. Great. So. Okay, so you have been on the city council, and you were even council president, named by your peers, um, and served in that role. But is there sort of one accomplishment, one thing that you are most proud of thus far? Thus far. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the two things I'm most proud of. One, I relocated the oldest Vietnam memorial in the country to our park in Beaverton and helped raise the money, bring businesses together, and get it built in our park. And that is something to me that was incredibly meaningful because Vietnam veterans never got the welcome home they deserved. From my council perspective, leading our Sanctuary Cities resolution was probably one of the most uh, important pieces of work that I've worked on because we are the most diverse city in the Northwest, and I think words matter. Our community after the Trump inauguration needed to hear from their elected leaders that they were safe in our community and could access police department regardless of their immigration status. That's great. And then remind me, but um, I want you to talk a little bit about paid family and medical lead and the advocacy we needed to get that passed because, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you were the only local elected official to, particularly for your city council, to fight for that. It's true. Um, When I was pregnant, I got word um, that the city had submitted a letter opposing paid family leave because it was going to cost the city too much money and that they felt we had already given a very generous compensation package. But being a young elected that was pregnant, I'll be damned if I was going to allow the city to do that. So I went down, I testified for paid family leave because at the time I worked for the fourth largest nonprofit in Oregon and had to take unpaid family leave to support my family. And it's 2020 now and we finally have it, but this was just two years ago. How could we be a community that wants to support families and women without being able to support them during one of the most uh, struggling times of their life? Right. Now, actually, I'm glad you brought up your past work. Um, so tell us um, tell us about that really big boulder you pushed up the mountain um, regarding our school-based health centers. So the state law has this wonky rule that allows school boards to decide what kind of services school-based health centers can offer. Um, and when I first took over as the director six years ago, we were not allowed to do any kind of comp- like uh, contraceptive services at all which I found completely ironic. Uh, Two of the schools that we operated in had daycare centers with children for children and spent over a million dollars a year operating those centers. There's a cheaper way to uh, help women and young women in particular. So we fought a five district change to allow all the school-based health centers in Washington County to prescribe contraceptives. And that led to 81,000 students in Washington County being able to have the best kind of services where they are all day long, which is school. I mean, it was no easy task. When I was pregnant, I was testifying. When I was on maternity leave, I went to Forest Grove to testify because it was that important to me. One school district at a time is how we did it. Um, It feels like a million years ago, but it's such an important thing. Choosing when, if, and how you become a mother is the greatest gift that I ever received. And, you know, 
Lacey, you led this work in Washington County, but this is a problem across the state. So I just, you know, we all need to be asking our school boards this question. You know, do kids have access to the to the reproductive health care services that they need? Well, and it's even broader because if school, what if you get a school board that believes that kids don't need mental health services or they shouldn't be mm-hmm. vaccinated to attend school? If we allow school boards to decide what kind of health our children should have instead of the Oregon Health Authority, it's a very slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Right. So just a reminder, if you want to participate in this conversation, please do text us at 971-220-5979. Um, now, jumping to a different set of issues. Um, well, actually, let's first talk about housing. We talked about housing a lot with uh, Wednesday because of her personal experience, the work she does now in the community. But you've also um, worked on housing as a city official. Tell us about that. Well, Winsby and I have a shared past because she works for the agency that I helped start. Um, In the basement of Beaverton City Hall, I met with Family Promise that was looking to fill a gap. Um, We had no family uh, resources for homeless families in Beaverton, and I promised them within six months we'd have their day center off the ground, in which we did. My husband served as uh, on their board of directors and hired uh, their first executive director because my my husband was homeless in high school. And that is a very important issue to our family. He was homeless. It was no a fault of his own. It was his parents. And now he serves in the military and has a top-level security clearance that he would have never been able to have if he had been picked up even for a minor infraction of sleeping on a park bench somewhere. So policymakers really need to think about unintended consequences of decision-making. And this particular issue hits home in the Beatty House. And so we both fight. I serve on Home Plates Board of Directors, Washington County's only nonprofit addressing uh, youth houselessness and homelessness. And it's something we fight really hard for. Yeah. And then you were part of a, uh, which takes me to the next issue I just kind of wanted to speak to, but you were part of a regional effort to build more affordable housing. Right. And so this is really wonky and a deep dive. But one of the issues that Beaverton had with building affordable housing is we have a special district park. They are really great. They provide a lot of really great uh, services, but they were 33 percent of our system development charge, which is a fee to build new housing. And that was a gigantic barrier to building affordable housing. I worked with their board. I tried to get them to come to a similar policy that the city had which was waiving SDCs for affordable housing, and they wouldn't. So we went out with three women and knocked 14,000 doors and flipped that board to address affordable housing. So people often think about elected officials only doing one thing, school board members educating. They don't think about them having the right to decide your child's health care. We don't think about a park district uh, being opposition to building affordable housing. But every elected official in Oregon plays a role in every single thing we do. And so it's very easy to get focused on federal government when it's local government really impacting your daily life. Yeah, I just want to I want to go back to that because I I want the listeners to really hear that, that um, the work that Lacey led with a number of other Emerge women out in Washington County, they knocked on 14,000 doors to flip a Parks and Recreation District board, an elected board that has, um, I think they have like 240,000 people that they represent in a multi-million dollar budget. 72 million. 72 million, thank you. (laughs) And that's how hard women are working throughout this state to bring new voices to elected leadership, 
to create policy change. Yes, it's about women running for office, and that's what I live for every day. Um, but at the end of the day, <laughs> I want better public policy. And I mean, do you, you see that happening out in Washington County? Yeah, you know, when I was first elected, our entire uh, parks board was men, our entire fire board was men, our entire county commission was men, almost all the state reps were men, and no one thought that was weird. But as more women get elected, <laughs> now they're starting to be like, well, there's two or three of you on the board, isn't that enough? And so the pendulum has to swing quite a bit the other direction to even things out. And I don't believe that women should have every voice at the table, just like I don't believe that men should have every voice at the table. Um, but, you know, women and moms think about things differently. You know, when I take my daughter to the indoor play center at the park district, they call it indoor park and it costs four dollars. When I look around, it's a bunch of moms that look like me. If you were a mom with three or four kids, that would be like a $20 outing to take your kids inside to play in the adverse weather in Beaverton. And I took that to the board and they almost immediately corrected it because nice. we just it's those little things that matter to people's lives. It shouldn't matter your socioeconomic status if your kids can play inside or not. Right, right. And that day to day. And I think... Um, all of our elected leaders should strive to understand the day-to-day the, the -day, uh, for families um, because as Wednesday and I chatted about so many of so many of our families are living paycheck to paycheck um, and housing affordability is certainly at the top of the list but um, what I hear you saying is healthcare access and affordability putting it in schools where kids are at but also just life activities and enrichment and education and it all it all matters um on that note and you've touched on it beaverton is literally surrounded <laughs> by so many other communities with their own jurisdictions and budgets and so i can imagine um working regionally is just so, so important for the success of your city. Tell us a little bit about those efforts. You know, working regionally to support locally is like the most iconic thing Beaverton can do because we have th uh, two special districts operating in our city. We have a special district fire. We have a special district park. We have a metro government that overlays on the top of us. We have county. And then at, if you look at the map of Beaverton, it kind of looks like Swiss cheese because the city and unincorporated switch so frequently that people often don't know where they are. You could have a Beaverton address and live in unincorporated. Um, but when we talk about things like housing affordability, we need to look at it at a regional level. When we talk about transit, it has to be done at a regional level. So while I could lead the largest investment in sidewalks in 20 years, if people can't get from the sidewalk to the MAC station, then what are we doing? And so, you know, I spent the last six years investing in relationships. There's no shortcut to that. And so the endorsement list that came out um, in favor of me being there really signals that we need a new regional voice in Washington County. We need somebody that can bring people around the flagpole to accomplish things like last mile busing because we have so many families. And if you miss the bus by three minutes and you're a working mom and you have two kids and you're standing in the pouring rain with your groceries, if we can't serve them, who are we serving? And so mm -hmm. as Beaverton grows, um, we are pushing families out. My sister was a server at, or is a server at Elmer's and her rent nearly doubled in Beaverton, forcing her to move out to Gales Creek and commute in on our infrastructure. And so when we talk about the affordability of housing, we need to also talk about transportation. And we're only gonna solve this uh, regionally by working together. 
Yeah, I can imagine every city has their own pot of transportation right. dollars. Metro has a pot of transportation dollars and making sure that they all align so that, you know, congestion doesn't get worse in one place because of investments in another. And, yep. and that's hard work. And I have a lot of respect for all of the elected leaders who are, um, I don't know, I want to believe we're um, – and I see it in our women, so I know it's happening, but we're just communicating more and more often with those around us um, to make good things happen. So um, uh, tell us a little bit more about the the other women you've worked with out in Washington County. We already talked about the Parks and Rec Board, but um, you are certainly a woman who believes that empowered women empower other women. And tell us about your leadership on that out in Washington County. So I think it started way back when with Lisa Allen, who is mm-hmm. was the chair at the time of the Hillsborough School Board, when we were addressing contraceptive services in her school district. And her and I worked together to bring other women's voices to the table um, because their board at the time was very resistant to any kind of change, both in the classroom and the school-based health center. And her and I worked together to prep women to run. We sat in her living room together, prepping people for quizzes, mm-hmm. going over voter pamphlet statements, and most importantly, knocking doors and investing money in them. And that was kind of the really start of the shift of Washington County moving a different direction. And I really credit Lisa Allen's work and leadership in that. Um, I got to go along for the process and learn a lot from her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I served on Katherine Harrington's, the chairs in her campaign team and knocked tons of doors for her because she's one of the most amazing leaders we have in Washington County. And she faced um, a really uphill battle in her race that started in a four or five way primary. And she worked hard and knocked thousands and thousands of doors. And so going out with her, with my toddler strapped to me, knocking on people's doors, talking about Catherine's leadership has only paid dividends. Um, and, you know, I helped elect Felicia de Monteblanco, who's the current chair of THPRD, way before we even led this four women coalition of 14,000 doors recently, because who are you investing in and who investing in you is the most important thing an elected leader could ask, because it's not just good enough to get elected if you're not bringing people along with you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love it. So um, you mentioned knocking on doors. Um, Talk a little bit about what you are doing to get your own message out for your mayoral campaign. Well, this weekend I hit 7,000 doors personally, um, which is a lot. I've been tracking the miles I've been walking on my Apple Watch because I'm I'm a bit of a data geek um, at my core. And I've walked 269 miles, which is from Beaverton to Medford. Um, And so just to give a little bit of context and distance, because if you've never walked doors, you may or may not think 7,000 is a lot. Um, it takes about, you know, two hours to knock 50 doors. So it's quite the investment. And I've had quite a warm reception on the doors. People are looking for a leadership, uh, new leadership in Beaver 10, and it's overwhelming response I've had. Oh, that's great. So what are some of the issues you're hearing on the doorstep in those conversations with voters? Well, one of the things that was really surprising to me is I've had multiple conversations about the impact of having to move in the in the respect mm. of losing their tribe. I talked to multiple women that have been forced to move to even just the other side of Beaverton and switch their kids out of their schools. And one woman and I sat in her living room and talked about the thing that sh- impacted her the most was losing her mom tribe. Even being eight miles away from where she was, she lost the ability to have friends pick up her kids from school or maybe take them to a different program or vice versa. And she felt really lonely and isolated. And I've had that conversation multiple times this election cycle, and it hadn't even been something I had really thought about. The other big issue I keep hearing is from seniors. They 
feel like the city has not done enough planning for them to age in place gracefully, that the system isn't really designed for them. And we do have an aging baby boomer population in Beaverton, and we've done very little to secure their ability to stay and thrive in Beaverton. And so we really need to look at our housing stock differently. How are we building for that generation that might go from a four-bedroom house, but they're not ready to go to a nursing home? We don't have the in-between option for them. And I've heard that a lot, that people look at their tax statement, look at their income, and simply say, I can't afford to stay here unless something shifts. Great. Um, Those stories are incredibly important um, in shaping not just your campaign, but also what you work on. So uh, thank you for going out there. And um, 7,000 Doors is amazing. And um, walking all those miles (laughs) in Beaverton, that's incredible. Um, And so what are the ways, what are the upcoming opportunities for people to help you? Well, of course, joining me on the doors is Mm -hmm. really impactful. You can join me personally for a shift, and you could go to LaceyBeattyForBeaverton.com and sign up for a shift or follow me on Facebook at LaceyBeattyForBeaverton or Twitter at LaceyBeatty. I'm pretty accessible. You can find me that way. Of course, uh, contributing. Women have a much harder time raising money in local government races to begin with. So if there is somebody out there looking to invest in local government, I think I'm an ideal candidate for that. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to knock a lot of miles. Um, I'm going to make people really proud. So those are, you know, and I'm sure the Winds Bay probably said something similar. Come knock with us and and support us financially. And Winds Bay and I um, are both doing a canvas this next week, and I know on March 14th. So if you want to come out in Beaverton and show some support, join us then. Okay, and there are also some other candidates involved in that. Kate Lieber, who's running for Senate, and then also Nafisa Fai, another Emerge woman running for Washington County Commission. And I would just say, um, I would just say that um, I'm going to pivot off of what you said about local office and the important in investing in candidates running for local office. Because yes, we need to take Donald Trump out of the White House. Right. Yes, we need to flip the U.S. Senate. Yes, we need to hold on, hopefully gain even more seats in the U.S. House. But we also have to pay attention to what's going on here in state because we have some awesome elected leaders that have really pushed back against the federal uh, administration, the current administration. And um, it's because of that um, that, you know, we've passed sanctuary cities like you did for the city of Beaverton, like we've had in the state of Oregon. And voters have upheld that um, that value. Um, but I just would encourage um, all the listeners to, you know, as there's a lot of noise at the national level, do not forget about the state and local races happening right here in your own backyard, because these folks are impacting your life on a daily basis. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. And I also think we want people to be a state legislator or a senator or federal senator or house representative that have some experience, right? Building the bench isn't something we talk nearly enough about because women get slapped on both sides. If you are in an office and think in the future I could serve in a different office, you're labeled ambitious and you're sidelined. And so, however, experience sometimes of being able to enter those spaces with your, like hitting the ground running is really important. You don't have to learn some of the pitfalls that you learn. And I also think local government is a great training ground to get some of those skills and it really impacts you, um, your daily life. I always tell people if we voted 
based on what impacted us the most, your mayor, your county commissioner, your school board member, your judges would be at the top of the ballot. Those are the people you interact with almost every single day. We're very accessible. People know I shop at Safeway on Murray and Allen, and now it's no big secret, but that's where people find me all the time when I'm grocery shopping, (laughs) when I have my kid in the park. My husband hates going for walks in the neighborhood with us because people want to talk about their sidewalks and their trees, trees falling. And, you know, my mom is my hardest constituent. And so I'm always she's always finding me to tell me about things uh, that need to be fixed. And so we just you have way more accessibility to your local government than you do anyone else. So um, what are other ways uh, people could support your campaign? You know, money. That is probably (laughs) one of the biggest things. Um, You know, campaigns are expensive. We have no campaign finance reform in Beaverton. We had the we're we're looking at changing our charter. One of the things the community loudly asked us to do was consider campaign finance contribution caps because it is so expensive to run a race, Mm -hmm. um, and it makes it non-accessible for a large part of our community. And so, until those are fixed, we have to raise a lot of money. And so, that's the best way. Someone out there I know just is wanting to invest in the first mayor of Beaverton and come out and support me financially and knock doors with me. Um, I'll take both of those. Well, how many people live in Beaverton? You know, a little over 90,000. Okay, so that is what we're asking of candidates to do, to communicate with um, 90,000 people. It's an expensive endeavor, both in terms of time. Right. Um, and also money. You want to get, it's humanly impossible to talk to all those people individually, though you've done a phenomenal job at that. So yeah, that's just, that's just what it takes. Um, anything else you would add about um, your service or your campaign before we wrap this up? You know, I just want people to remember that we need a diversity of voices in Washington County. It is very diverse city. We only have one woman mayor that serves in the whole county. And Mm -hmm. to me, when we have to talk about that because Mm -hmm. it annoys people. They don't like to see it, but it is something. And I think that more diversity of voices at the table is incredibly important. We know in Washington County that service is a barrier. Even how what time of day we do meetings is challenging for people. The fact that we don't pay politicians, um, and I know that's an unsexy topic to address, but people we want people of all income levels to serve. You know, I spend over 20 hours a week doing my council work on top of working a full-time job. And that's not easy to do with a toddler. I'm married to an active duty service member and we're balancing a lot of things. And so I want people to serve. And the first question they always ask me is how much time does it take? And so we need to remove some of these barriers so I'm not the only one. I'm not, I I want to be the first mayor, woman mayor of Beaverton, but I most certainly don't want to be the last. And I think that we need to collectively elevate voices, not just mine, Beaverton has a great opportunity to elect um, a new state rep, Winsby Campo, who you just heard, who will be my state rep. I'll love for my daughter to look to her as being a young woman of color leading our community. We have an opportunity to elect a new state senator, um, a new county commissioner, Nafisa Fai, who's running, and a new metro uh, councilor all at the same time. Beaverton has a once-in-a-generational opportunity to vote in new progressive leadership that's going to change our county for the better. Yeah, I just want to, you know, a quick promo for your both Winds Bay, Kate Lieber, who will be your new senator, um, if all things go our way. And then Nafisa Fai, Somali woman, who would be the first woman of color to serve on Washington County Commission. And as you said, Washington County is the most diverse county in our state. So we need that 
diverse representation. And Nafisa is an immigrant that's worked like mm-hmm. worked the American dream to get here. When we talk about people coming to this country, and and there are some, you know, I'm a combat veteran. I lived all over the world. Immigrants understand freedom sometimes better than other people because they fought so hard to get here. Mm-hmm. She has an amazing story, and just like most women, we're spending our time talking about other women because it's just as important. So go to her website, learn about her, come out and support her. She she's going to change that county commission for the better. Yeah, and she'll be also with us on Saturday, March 14th. So if you are looking to get involved, um, certainly join these women on the campaign trail. So thank you, Lacey, for your time. Good luck in your race. I look forward to your swearing in as the first woman mayor of Beaverton. Um, And thank you to all the listeners. You've been listening to Inspiring Women Candidates with Winsvay Campos and Lacey Beatty as part of Amplify Women on X-Ray FM, a celebration of International Women's Day.